All right, so we have the candle of hope lit. Hopefully you've been experiencing the hope of Jesus all week long, and we have the candle of love lit, and hopefully you'll light it in your home each week or several days this week and just have a great time with your family and talking about the love of Jesus, what he's done in our life. And this morning, I want to take some time to talk about love as well, because the love of God is extraordinary. It's miraculous, it's marvelous, it's wonderful, it's amazing. And I want to talk about love because it is so important. Many of us find it very difficult to love as well as Jesus did. But in the verse we're going to look at today, John says that you and I can actually be complete in the love of Christ when Jesus is living through us. When Jesus is living through us, the love of Christ comes out of us, and the complete love of Christ can be seen through us, which is a hard thing to do because it's kind of hard to know how to love someone completely and perfectly, amen? I know I'm not very good at it, and you probably are working on it too. But we're going to focus our attention on love, not ordinary human love that we so easily complicate today, don't we? We're going to talk about real authentic, perfect, totally complete, everlasting love of God that is extraordinary and miraculous. Love that does not require a response. Love that does not need love in return because it's pure and it's selfless. We live in a a very narcissistic world, so we, we give love away so that we can receive love, don't we? Because we, we, we need it back. We want it back so much. But Jesus says, I'm just going to give you my love, and I'm just going to leave it there. Here it is. Here's my love. Here's what I've done for you. I hope you'll be a part of being in a relationship with me, but, but I'm not going to require a response. I'm just going to ask you to live in my love. Today, as we've lit the candle that represents love, we are going to celebrate all week this perfect, complete kind of love. The love of God that came to earth was prophesied for hundreds of years, was born of a virgin in a stable or maybe uh, even historically a cave just cut out of the hillside where animals were sleeping. We, We often sing Silent Night. It probably was not. There was a cow mooing and a goat neighing and sheep wondering what's going on, mice around. I mean, how would you like, ladies, to give birth to your firstborn child while a mice, mice are running around you and over you? And It's not like Sacred Heart in the NICU or just having fun, right? Jesus was born, set in a feed trough. He was announced by angels, worshipped by shepherds, and he even birthed a new star, created to announce the love that came down. Love is Jesus. Now, this candle is also called the Bethlehem candle. It represents the the night love was born in Bethlehem in the form of baby Jesus. And in the first century, they needed love just like we do. They were struggling with love, how to have love in their families and their personal relationships. Uh, That time of the world, if you do some good history, you can see right away that they weren't very good at loving one another as nations and people. They were constantly fighting, bickering, at war with one another, hating one another because of cultural differences. It was a time when the world really needed love, just like we do today. And so I want us to see something about Jesus this morning that we celebrate every Christmas, but we need to remember every single day of the year, and that is that Jesus loves you. He really loves you. It's really important that Jesus came down, that Jesus came to show us his love, because we so often get really confused about what love is and about how to live love, how to show love, how to give and receive love. And so we need these these times in our lives where we study about love. And so we're going to study several verses this week. In your journal, you're going to have a verse every day, and you're going to study something about God's love and interact with God's word and digest God's love and what it means to you. And so I I, I encourage you, if you don't have your Advent journal, grab one and open it up every day. You'll have five Bible studies all this week to learn and understand more about the love of God. So let's pray, and then we'll jump into God's word together in 1 John chapter 4. Jesus, we thank you for your word. But more than anything, Jesus, we just thank you that you came. 
You left heaven, came to earth to show us your love. We are so appreciative of it. And Jesus, we want to celebrate it all week. We want to celebrate it this Christmas season. And Lord, we pray that you would help us learn how to give your love and how to receive your love. Help us, Lord Jesus, to be people that love one another well and be people that understand how important your love is and to live in it every day. We thank you and we praise you for your word. Let it go right to our heart this morning and change us. The areas that we need work on, pray that you would convict us. The moments that we need teaching, we pray that your word would teach us. We give you thanks, Lord. In your name we pray. We all said, amen. Well, love is a popular topic in the New Testament. Love was a popular topic by Jesus. Um, If you study the Greek words, love has three main words in Greek. Uh, The words are eros, which we get the word erotica from. It's romantic love. It's relational love. There's phileo love, which is like the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia. That's why it's called that. It's from the Greek word phileia. Uh, And it means friendship love, the love that we have as friends, the love that we have as a church, the love that we have as a community. But the last kind of love is an interesting word. It's the word agape. And theologians vassal about this word. It's the word that is most often used in the New Testament to refer to God, to God's kind of love. Now, agape love is completely selfless. It requires nothing in return. Some theologians say that as humanity, we don't even know how to agape love. We're so bad at love, we can't even agape love because we, we, we love so often to get something in return. Where God says, I'm not requiring something in return. I want relationship with you, but here it is. Here's me on the cross. I'm showing you my love. And if you take it, great. Embrace it and love me too. That's awesome. But God gives love in such a selfless way. Now, John's going to say that that kind of love, that kind of agape love, it actually is possible in us. When Jesus is living through us. When you're not loving in your strength and in your power, when you're, when you're loving in Jesus' strength and in the power of the Holy Spirit, then you can agape love because it's not your love. It's his love through you. You just become the conduit. You just become the wire. Love is popular. It's used over, the word is used over 300 times in the New Testament. In the letter that we're going to read about today, the letter of 1 John, it's used 27 times in this letter that John wrote to the churches. So if you have your Bible, you can open it to 1 John chapter 4 or turn your Bible on and get to 1 John chapter 4 verse 9. And we are going to look at how John describes the love of God and then we'll jump in and I'll make some points and we'll study some things in light of this section of scripture. So look at it with me, 1 John chapter 4 verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Lots of good stuff about love here. Lots of good examples about what love looks like. So let's jump in. Verse 9 tells us something right away that you and I need to understand and that we need to know about love. And that is that love always needs to be shown, okay? Now, verse 9, right off the bat, John says what? This is how God showed his love among us. How did God show his love? He sent Jesus. He sent Jesus to show us love. Now, why did God do that? Why didn't God just send another prophet? Why didn't God raise up another good pastor, another good teacher? Because he'd done that for hundreds of years and we weren't getting it. (laughs) And if you ever feel like you need to get hit up beside the head by a two by four to just like get something, like that's what Jesus is. He's like, I gotta go show them because they're not getting it the regular way. So God says, I want you to see love. I don't want it to be complicated for you anymore. 
I'm going to show you what love looks like. I'm going to show you how to treat people. I'm going to show you how to talk to people. I'm going to show you what words to use, what words not to use. I'm going to show you how to think about people that you are supposed to hate. Culture tells you to hate. I'm going to tell you not to hate them. I'm going to tell you how to forgive them and love them. I'm going to show you what it means to love the world around you. So God says, I'm going to show you love. And the way I'm going to show you that love is I'm going to send Jesus to earth. So he came. Jesus came to earth. Now, being sent to earth, physically, the way it worked was probably easy for Jesus because nothing is impossible for God. But we also discover how much someone loves someone else when we see how much they are willing to give up for you. And in the story of Jesus, Jesus gives up a lot. He gives up a lot. In fact, we know that Jesus loves us because he gave up heaven. One of the first things that we can see about, about love and about Jesus' love, and that it reveals to us that Jesus loves us a lot, is he gave up heaven. He gave up his home. Now, let me ask you a question. Any of you willing to sell your home or give your home to someone you don't like? No hands, okay? Okay. Love's not complete in us yet then, right? But Jesus said, I'll give up my home to come to you so that you can see what real love looks like. Now, Jesus giving up heaven to come to earth, this is a big deal because he gave up endless worship. He gave up his throne. He gave up unlimited power. He gave up his home. He gave up the ability to be omnipresent, omnipotent, and omniscient. He gave those things up to be here. So let me try to help you understand what Jesus did so that he could show us that he loved us. How many of you as a kid had an ant farm? Anyone in the room have an ant farm? Okay, no one. They're not very popular anymore. That's true. Most of us are beyond ant farms. But let me use the example anyway, okay? Here's an ant farm on the screen. Isn't that a beautiful ant farm? Look at the farm, picture of a farm, ants crawling around in the dirt. It's an ant farm. This is a great example of Jesus' love. Let me tell you how. I want you to use your imagination with me for a moment. Imagine with me for a second that you went to live in that ant farm as an ant. But you still had all of your knowledge and your experience of being human. You're not human anymore. You're an ant. So now you have some problems, right? First of all, you're now confined to a very small ant body. You used to have a big, buff, strong, manly body, and now you're in an ant body. You spend most of your time working, helping the colony, never resting. You're stuck in this little tiny ant body. Second, you'd be confined to that small piece of glass. That's all you get. That's it, right there in the ant farm. Can't go any further, can't get out. Someone comes and gives you food, that's it. You're completely reliant on that. And all the only space you get is that little tiny ant farm. And then third, I don't know if you knew this because nobody raised their hand, but when you get an ant farm, the ants eventually die. They only last four to six months. That's it. So you're destined to die. Now, how is that like Jesus? Well, it's like Jesus because this is what Jesus did for you and me. He came to our ant farm. We think earth is cool, right? And it is. It's great. It's an awesome planet. But compared to what Jesus had, it's an ant farm. I mean, the guy's on his throne in heaven, and he's, he's, he's in charge of billions of galaxies. So coming to one small planet in one small galaxy is like you and I going to live in an ant farm. It's not very glorious. It's not very awesome. So Jesus sacrificed all of that to come and live in our ant farm. You would say the same thing. 
If you were in the ant farm, what would you say? This place stinks. It's small. It's confining. It's restricting. You talk about being restricted. Take the God of the universe and put him in a little baby in a manger. That's restricting. That's confining yourself to a pretty small space. Before, you could be anywhere in the universe at any time. And now you're in this little human body. And you're relying on your mom to take care of you and your dad to take care of you. Before, you were taking care of everything. And now you have to humble yourself to be taken care of. Jesus showed us his love by giving up heaven and coming to our ant farm. Now, I think just, just, for, just for giggles this morning, I think an ant farm could become a new Christmas decoration. I do. Like, think about it for a minute. An ant farm next to your nativity, next to your advent wreath. It's a perfect new Christmas decoration. Put some, you know, put some red and green around it. Maybe put a, slide a new picture of Cheney in there in the snow, and you got a, the ants got a white Christmas. It'd be perfect. Great. So next year, everybody's getting ant farms as their decorations for Christmas to remind us, right, about the love that Jesus has for you and me to leave heaven and come to earth. Now, John says something interesting about love in verse 10. In verse 10, he says this. He says, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son. See, he says that us loving God is, is not really love. Real love is that God loved us. Now, You'll notice there are times in the Bible where the writer, and Jesus did this several times, by the way, in his teaching, they'll use an extreme statement to make a point. Have you ever done that as a parent? Don't raise your hand because I know all of you have, right? You've all said something like, if you eat that, your arm will fall off, right? If you eat that, you will die, if you stick that fork in the light socket, you will die. That's not true. It's going to hurt like crazy, but you're not going to die. You make an extreme statement to make a point, don't we? And we do it all the time. That's what John is saying. He's not saying that we actually have no capacity to love. What he's saying is God's love, what Jesus did for us compared to our love for him, doesn't even count. It's so minuscule. And here's why. Because in the love that you and I have for Jesus, there's no sacrifice in it. I don't have to give up anything to love Jesus, but he gave up everything to love me. You don't have to, you don't have to do anything, give up anything to love Jesus, but he gave up everything to love you. That's why John says, God's love is way better than our love. Love is what God does for us. See, love gets uncomfortable. Really uncomfortable. In Jesus' case, extremely uncomfortable to come to earth. Now, you think being born in a baby was uncomfortable. That was nothing compared to the cross. Talk about uncomfortable. The God of the universe who created everyone, who knows about everyone before they're even born, is letting people spit on him and flog him and mock him and nail him to a cross. That's even more uncomfortable. Why did he do that? Because he loves you. Because he loves you. See, Jesus made many great sacrifices to show us his love. So the first thing we see is that we know Jesus loves us because he gave up heaven. Second, Verse 10 tells us that we know Jesus loves us because he became the sacrifice for our sin. Verse 10, John said, This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now, this verse is very important. This verse could have said many things. It could have talked about Jesus sending and becoming many things for us. It could have said that God sent his son as a great teacher, or a fabulous carpenter, or a perfect person, or a healer of all diseases, or a raiser of the dead, or a radical rabbi, a discipler of nations. You could have put any title in there, but the title that John used 
And the title that many of the New Testament writers used was sacrifice for our sins. Now, why is that term used so often with Jesus? Why is that term connected to Jesus so often? Why is the cross connected to Jesus so often? Why is the reference to his blood connected to Christ so often? Because that's the way that he showed his love in the greatest way. It's also what Jesus came to do for you and I. It's the way that Jesus showed his love for you and I, that he was going to take care of a huge problem that you and I have, and that is our sin. The ways that you and I choose to live outside of God's love, outside of God's hope, outside of God's joy and peace and grace for our life. And we ste- when we step outside of that, what? We do life on our own and we sin. And in that, in that way, God says, I don't have, that's not my desire for you. I want you to walk in my love all the time. And so love will make sacrifices. John makes it very clear here that Jesus became the sacrifice for our sin. See, Jesus could have been a sacrifice for anything. He could have sacrificed for us to have more comfort and more pleasure. Not that we really need more of that, but he could have. He could have made our world even more comfortable and more pleasurable than it is now, but he didn't. He could have sacrificed all of his knowledge so that we could have better technology, but he didn't. He could have sacrificed all of his wisdom so that we could have better systems and societies and, please, Lord, better governments, but he didn't. He could have sacrificed so many things so that our lives could have been easier. But he didn't. He didn't because he knows our deepest need. And our deepest need is that we would be free from our brokenness, from our shame, from our sin that bogs our lives down every day, from the curse of sin that ruins our future, ruins our eternity, free us from the debt that strangles our spirit and our connection with our heavenly father. And so Jesus said, I'm coming to take care of your sin. Now, here's what you'll notice about Jesus. Jesus didn't mess around. Have you noticed that if you read about about Jesus? He doesn't mess around at all. He knew the best way to love every single person when he was interacting with them. And he knows the best way to love you today. And the best way to love you is to deal with your sin, to deal with my sin. Because the best way to love us is to remove all of the hindrances in our lives that cause us to have a difficult relationship with God. And you know what I'm talking about. If you ever have a difficult relationship or, or time in your life with your spouse or maybe your brother or sister or a friend or a coworker, just everything's kind of awkward, right? You're just walking around on eggshells all the time. And Jesus said, I don't want humanity to have that with God. I want God always to be approachable easily and that the grace of God will always be seen in our lives. And so Jesus says, I'm going to remove all the hindrances that you and I have to a relationship with God. Let me give you an illustration of this. Think about something with me, and I don't want you to think about this as a downer. So this is not Debbie Downer time, but it's just gonna, I'm just going to use it for an illustration. Think about all of the financial debt you have currently right now. And we all say, what? Uh, uh. But just think about it with me for a moment. So your house, maybe your student loans, maybe a car, some credit card, a boat, whatever else you like that, you know, maybe your Seahawks jersey. I'd hawk that. But. And let me ask you a question. Would you rather have someone give you a new car or pay off all your debt? New car or pay off all your debt? Anybody in the room want the new car? One, that's because you've got no debt. I know you. Good job, financial man. Uh, or all your debt gone, right? We're all, all, all our debt gone, right? That's what we want, all our debt gone. And that's what Jesus said. You know what? I could come to bring you anything. 
I could bring you a hundred different things as humanity that would make humanity better and make it great. But the one thing you really need is all your debt paid. What you really need as a person is all of your spiritual debt gone. See, when somebody pays off all of your financial debt, you're financially free. And your future is wide open. Your future is now much more secure, if not completely secure, than before. That's what Jesus wanted for you and me. He wanted us to be completely spiritually free. No hindrances whatsoever. Nothing holding us back to have a great relationship with our Heavenly Father and to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. Nothing holding us back. So Jesus came and gives us exactly what we needed. He becomes the sacrifice for our greatest and most consequential debt, our sin. So he forgives all our sin. He heals all our brokenness. He delivers us from all our shame. He removes all our past and makes us a new creation in Christ Jesus. Folks, this is love. That's what love does. Now, in another book that John wrote, which is the book of Revelation, John wrote down what he saw. It's really just a gigantic prophetic dream. But in Revelation chapter 1, verse 5 and 6, John starts the letter to the churches in a short little description of Jesus. And he says this in verse 5. To him, him being Jesus, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. See, John says that all glory and all power belongs to Jesus because he loved us and freed us from our sin by his blood. Jesus did this because he loved us. See, the thing we need most at Christmas and every single day is to be free from our sin. That's exactly what you and I need. Now, hopefully you know Jesus already and you're walking in that freedom. But as soon as you and I walk out that door, we head into a world that is really struggling with that, isn't it? It's struggling with how to relate to the love of God. And it's our job to take that love of Jesus to them. But I want, to, I want you to hear something that I think I want us to understand about love as well. And I want to talk about it just for a minute. Let me start by saying this. Jesus knew something extremely important that humanity is ignoring. Hear me. Jesus knew something extremely important that humanity is ignoring, and it's this, that love confronts the greatest evil and our worst enemy. Love does that. Love confronts the greatest evil and our worst enemy, which is sin. That's why Jesus died on the cross. That's why he left heaven and came here. Because love confronts things in a good and gracious way. Now here's what I've noticed about Jesus and his love. Love, love doesn't mess around with sin. Doesn't accept it. Doesn't pacify it. Doesn't say it doesn't exist. Doesn't ignore it or compromise it. If you've been walking with the Holy Spirit, then you know what I'm talking about because he does not accept it in you, does he? He doesn't in me. As soon as I start to do something stupid and Mark-like, that's what I call my sin, Mark-like, because that's just me, right? I just do dumb stuff when I get outside of Jesus' plan for me. And you say, Pastor Mark, you do that? Oh, yeah. We won't go into all the stories and none of my kids get to come up here. Love doesn't mess around. And the Holy Spirit doesn't mess around because the Holy Spirit is love. And he confronts our sin. But I'm so thankful that God confronts sin in a gracious way, not a judgmental way. Not in a horrible way. Love, love forgives sin. 
Love deals with sin at the deepest level because it knows at that deep level, at the core of our soul, is where you and I need some work. And love longs for everyone to be free from the consequences of sin. Listen, I think, I believe this, and I hope you do too. I believe that our country and our nation and our world would be completely different today if people stopped ignoring Jesus and allowed him to heal their sin problem. Our world would be totally different. We would love each other in a totally different way. And we would be passionate about things that are good for us, not bad for us. I hope you're dealing with that too. I hope personally that you're allowing the love of Jesus to heal you to the core of your soul, to the deepest resources of your heart and your spirit and your mind and your thinking. And the love of Jesus is taking over your words and your actions and the way you think about people around you. That's love, because it confronts. It confronts the things that we say and the things that we do so that you and I look more like Jesus. Now, Jesus talked about this in an interesting way in Matthew chapter 10, when he talked about you and I making spiritual things more important than earthly things. He said it like this in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, Jesus, that's a pretty extreme statement. It's a pretty strong statement. What Jesus is saying is don't worry about this world. Don't worry about the flesh that we have now. Don't worry about the lifestyle you're in now. Don't worry about the things that you're doing on earth right now. They're not what's the most important. What's most important is your spiritual life with God. That's the most important thing in your life. The spiritual consequences of our soul are way more important than our personal opinions or our lifestyles here on earth. But things are a little bit mixed up right now, aren't they? They're just a little mixed up in our world right now. Love is called hate, and true hate is masked by some new fancy words so that we can continue to hate. We got it all mixed up now. What's up is down. What's right is wrong. What's wrong is right. We're all mixed up. And because of that, love's all mixed up. And the love of God and the love of Jesus is getting complicated, and people are starting not to like it. They're starting to call the love of Jesus hate. But that's not what we see in the New Testament. Whenever Jesus interacted with somebody, when Jesus interacted with them in such a loving way, they loved it. Zacchaeus, a tax collector who had no friends and nobody liked him because all he did was steal their money. Why would you like him? When Jesus comes and says, hey, I want, to come to, I want to come to dinner at your house. Man, he's thrilled. He's excited. When the woman who was caught in adultery was forgiven by Jesus and not stoned to death, I'm sure, sure that was a pretty good day for her. She's like, I kind of like this love that Jesus has. He's not condemning me. He's not pointing his finger at me. And he knows that I'm a sinner. It's like it's not, a, it's not rocket science here. I got caught in the middle of the act. But Jesus just says what? I forgive you, but go and sin no more because you're kind of in this predicament because of your sin. And so love confronts, but love forgives. Love is gracious and kind. The world is saying that if we talk about sin, that we're a hater, but nothing could be further from the truth. Talking in love about what can destroy us at the core of our humanity and that only Jesus can fix is the greatest love that you and I can show to someone. Now, I believe that you and I have a challenge as the church of Jesus Christ. 2020 was pretty tough, 21, now 22. We're heading into 23. And I believe that as the people of, of God, we have to learn how to show the love of Jesus to a world in a whole new way. 
In fact, I think it's part of our challenge moving forward. Because our culture and our world is struggling with what real love looks like, we're going to have to show them what real love looks like. We're going to have to show them what sacrifice looks like. We're going to have to show them what the love of Jesus looks like, not point our fingers at their brokenness and their problems. But too many times the church and all of us from orthodoxy to Pentecostalism, we're all guilty of this. We've spent decades pointing our fingers at people's problems instead of getting messy with them and getting in there with them and walking through their deliverance with them. And when we point our fingers and talk with our mouths on social media, we don't show love. We just show hate. And so what the world needs now is the love of Jesus in a whole new way. And we need to learn that. We need to show love with acceptance and forgiveness instead of judgment and fear and pointing our fingers. Now, how do we show love in a world that says love is hate? Well, this is the challenge. But I believe that our God is big enough and that the Holy Spirit gives us enough power to figure that out in the moment while you're at work or hanging out with some friends or in a compromising situation with someone that is difficult to love. The Holy Spirit will help you. See, to love people well in Jesus' name is our new calling. To fix the love problem in our world will take some work, but we need to do it. Because love confronts sin in a gracious way. Because it knows the future without forgiveness is not a good one. Let me give you an example. I want you to imagine yourself right now. You're driving home in the middle of the night. You're in a really bad storm. It's like last Wednesday. I remember one time I was in a storm. I was driving. I had preached a message at a church in Kansas. I was coming back to Colorado Springs. I couldn't see past my headlights. It was snowing that hard. It was just like, I didn't, it was one of those moments you probably have one where you're like, you're driving along and you're like, I don't know whether to stop or continue to go. Because if I stop, somebody's going to run into me. If I continue to go, I'm going to run into somebody else. So I, I don't know what to do. So I just crept along really slow on this back highway road. And I was in a little two-wheel drive old Mitsubishi Mighty Max with like five pounds of weight in the back, squirreling all over. It was so much fun. I thought it was great. Kate was just thought I was going to die. Thankfully, she was at home and not in the car with me. But think of a night like that. You're driving along on this highway. You know the highway well, and you know you're heading towards a river. And so you begin to slow down because you're like, you know, the bridge normally has ice, and I don't want to go crazy on the bridge. So you kind of slow down, and you get to the river, and you notice the bridge is washed out. It's not even there anymore. The storm is just taking out the bridge. So you slow down, you stop, and you think, oh, no, I'm so glad I didn't go into the river. But then you think, but somebody else might fall in the river. So you turn your car around and you turn your high beams towards the oncoming traffic. And you get out of your car and you start waving your arms and jumping up and down and it's snowing and it's cold and you're getting wet and you're tired and you're fighting frostbite back and you're just trying to stop cars from driving into the river. Let me ask you a question. Is that love or hate? I think that's love. Hate would be, I'm going to stay in my car and turn the heater on, and so what? The next guy just runs in the river. See, that's what love does. It shines the light of Jesus into the darkness and says, hey, just want to let you know, in your future, the bridge is out. But Jesus can be that bridge for you. He can get you to the other side if you'll just accept him and be in relationship with him. That's love. You and I got to learn how to do that. That's why we're going to light the candle of love all week. We're going to talk about love this Christmas. We're going to talk about how love came down to atone for sin. And thank God it did. Because Jesus knew what was best for us and died on a cross instead of doing something culturally relevant. When it comes to love, Jesus knows best. Which leads us to the last thing. 
The last thing is something Jesus said all the time. And the last thing is something that the New Testament writers repeated all the time because Jesus said it all the time. And it's this. Jesus said, if you're going to love in my love, you must love one another. You must love one another. Now, in particular, let's put this in context. Look at verse 11 with me. In verse 11, John says this. Dear friends, okay, so let's stop there. So the context is the friends, okay? This is who he's talking to. So basically, John starts by saying, I'm talking to my friends who are believers in Christ. I'm talking to the church of Jesus Christ. So John, the context is us, this community, the church of Jesus Christ. Dear friends, since God so loved us, We also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Now, the number one way that we show the world that Jesus lives inside of us is to love one another here in this room in this church. If Cheney Faith Center is your home church, then you have said, this, these are my people. This is my church. And if this is your church, then you are called to love one another. You're called to love everyone in here. Now, John is talking about loving one another in the church. Now, why? Why is this important? Why did Jesus talk about it? Why did all the New Testament writers talk about it? Why am I going to harp on it for 10 minutes? Because if we don't love one another here, the world doesn't see it. If they don't see us loving one another, they will never believe that we can love them. So the world has to see when they come in here, into this room, into this commons, and they, they brave their own thoughts and philosophies and the, the things that the enemy is attacking them with to even get in the door, and they come into our community. You know what they need to see? They need to see us loving one another first. They need to hear about us forgiving one another when we hurt each other. Yes, I just said that you might get hurt by someone at church because I might even do something Mark-like and hurt you. Not Jesus-like, Mark-like. I might say something. I might do something. I might say the Niners are better than the Seahawks and you go, I might hurt you. I might do something worse than that. Who knows? Someone else in our church might hurt your feelings say something rude, say something mean, talk about you and stab you in the back. And at that point, we have an opportunity. We're going to love or leave and go to church somewhere else. If you leave and go to church somewhere else, then the world that hears you talk about church just heard the message that forgiveness doesn't happen in the church. That real authentic relationships that mean something don't exist in the church. We just move on. See, real love says, no, that's my home church. And that's my friend. That's my brother or sister. So I need to take them out to coffee and I need to tell them how they hurt my feelings and we need to make it right. That's what we do in the kingdom of God. That's what we do in the church. That's what it means to love one another. It means you choose to be friends when it's hard, when it's really difficult. It means we walk through the hardest times of life together. It means that we do not give up on one another no matter what, and we don't care what anybody says. We're not giving up on each other. That's what it means to love one another. Now, how do we do that? How do we love one another in the church? Well, it starts with simple things, like basic stuff. We hang out with one another and have fun together. We have meals together. You invite the pastor over for ribs. That's what it means. You go out to lunch after church. You don't just walk in the door, sit in your seat, and leave. 
You say hi to people. When, we, when Pastor Mark or Pastor Kate or Troy or whoever's doing the MC and says, hey, we're going to take three minutes, say hi to somebody around you, you don't just sit down. You actually look around you, behind you, next to you. There's somebody across the room I don't know. I'm going to go say hi to that person. We start to become friendly. That's what it means to love one another simply in the church. We take someone a meal when they've had surgery. Then we go a little deeper in our love for one another. We pray together. We ask how we are doing when we see each other. And we don't lie to one another and say, oh, I'm fine. All right, you're freaked out, insecure, neurotic, and emotional. We attend a Bible study and study God's word together. We encourage one another when we are struggling, so we send a text, or we write a note, or we make a phone call, or we send an email, or we shoot someone a Bible verse, or something, because we want to be an encouragement. We serve together in ministries in our church and outside our church to honor Jesus and to help us grow in Christ. We attend church and a smaller group environment regularly. We help one another with raising our kids and discipling them well. We learn how to parent together. We learn how to be grandparents together. We learn how to honor our mother and father together. We just do these things together. And then we go even deeper in our love together. We talked to someone at church about our deepest struggle this past week. We confront one another's sin in love with grace and truth when it's called for. We go on mission trips together to serve the lost. We weep together. We laugh together. We share our emotions when we need to because we are in this together. We walk with others through an addiction and we don't give up on them until they are completely healed. We elevate the promises of God's word together and let nothing persuade us from honoring them. We encourage each other to use our spiritual gifts and to hold one another accountable to live in the fruit of the Spirit. We forgive one another when we hurt each other and seek authentic reconciliation so that Jesus is exalted in our church, not ourselves. These are the things we do if you're going to say we're going to love one another at church. Now, that will take work. That takes work. It's so easy when somebody offends me to just leave. It takes work to stay. It takes work to go deep. It hurts. It's challenging. It's tough. But can I be honest with you? Who are the people that you really like doing life with? Aren't they the people that have gone the deepest with you? Aren't they the people that know the most about you? And love you anyway. Like, I know everything about Mark. I know all of his failings. I know, I know how dumb he can be sometimes. And I know that he roots for the dumbest teams in the world. And I still love him. I still like that guy. Do you have friends like that? I hope so. You should. That's what we should be, right? If we're going to love one another, that's exactly what this environment should look like. Now, let me tell you something that's really, really important. When the world sees us loving one another like this, they'll want to know how to get in, not how quickly to get out. You hearing me? Because that's what's happening right now in the church, isn't it? People are looking for, how fast can I get out of there? Bunch of hypocrites. That's not who we're called to be. And I say these things to us because I want, I want, to, I want us to be like Jesus. I want to pastor us well, and I want us to have deep friendships and relationships in our church. I also know this. Our God is powerful, but the Bible's pretty clear. Our world gets worse before it gets better when Jesus comes back. Have you noticed that? Have you read the prophetic scripture? It gets worse, not better. So you and I better get tighter as it gets worse, or, or we're, some of us are going to get left behind. Because what will happen? The enemy will start to pick us off. So relationship is what will keep us together as the world continues persecution 
you and I continue to ramp up our relational environments and our relationships around us, continue to love one another, and we'll see the grace of God in our church all the time, and our church will also continue to grow. See, here's what we discover about loving one another. It's this, that people begin to believe that Jesus loves them when they see us loving one another. I'll repeat that. People begin to believe that Jesus loves them when they see us loving one another. Let me give you a small example of this. We, um, we have uh, a great, great godly man in our church named Chad. You probably all know him. Chad leads worship at our church. You know Chad. Chad used to be on our staff. And one thing led to another, and Chad and I just discovered together it wasn't working so well. So because we love one another, because we have a great relationship, uh, he decided to go back into teaching. And so he went off our staff and went into teaching. Well, he was talking about this situation that he had, him and I had, at work one day, and a coworker overheard it and was like, came over and was like, wait a second, what, what are you talking about? You're still attending the church that you used to be on staff at and your pastor treated you nicely out the door? Where's that place? I want to go. And so he does. He goes now. He goes here now. That's what needs to be happening. We stick together. These relationships are strong and they're built in Christ. And we don't just leave because we don't like what's going on. We stick around. So I'm going to ask you, are you loving your church family well? Are you? You loving your family well? Is there someone here at church that you don't like? They hurt you and you need to go talk to them about that? I'm going to encourage you. Go do it. Is there someone that you know in our church that needs your help? Don't wait for someone else to help them. You go do it. Take them a meal. Go help them. Make a phone call. Hey, how can I help you? Oh, you haven't shoveled your snow yet? I'll be right over. I've got a snow shovel. Whatever it is, let's jump in. How can I serve? How can I help? You having a tough time? Would you like me to come over for coffee? Sure, I'll be right there. You might go over and it might be a cry fest. Okay, well, I'm not an emotional person. Okay, let them cry and you just sit there. But just sitting there will be great. Let them know you love them. Do you need to pursue a relationship in the church more frequently? Is there someone you need to get to know better and that you need to start living together in Christ? Do it. See, I want to encourage you to embrace the radical truth that Jesus loves you very much. Jesus loves you very much, and he wants you to love one another really well. Would you stand with me? I'd like us to pray in just a minute and respond to this word and to the love of God that we've just talked about. But before we do, I just want to end with this. There's a reason that the love of God is so infectious. And it's this. That when you live, when you live like a loved child of God, the love of God will seep out of you everywhere. So for some of you in the, in the room right now, maybe the first step for you is accepting that you are loved. That Jesus loves you very much. And maybe you haven't let that sink in. Or maybe it's been a while since you let it sink in. And you need to be reminded this morning, that's right. I am loved by God. I am forgiven by Jesus. I need to stop letting the enemy kick my butt. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop living in the condemnation of the enemy, and I'm going to start living in the grace of Jesus Christ. That's who I am. 
So there's probably someone in this room, you need to start kicking the devil in the teeth. In the love of Jesus, of course. But seriously, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You need to start living in that identity, in the love of God in Christ Jesus. That's your identity as a follower of God. When that identity takes over who you are, you will overflow with the love of Jesus. When Jesus is living through you, you can't even stop it. You'll try to be selfish and Jesus won't let you. (laughs) You'll try to be mean and Jesus won't let you. If you'll truly submit and surrender to him. So I want to encourage you. Live as a loved child of God so that you can love one another well. Would you pray with me? I just would like us to respond real quick. Just so that you get an opportunity to say, something to the Lord this morning. So if that's how you feel and you would just say, you just say, Pastor Mark, I want to tell the Lord that that's where I'm at. I'm, I need to live in that new identity of being a, a loved child of God. I haven't been living that way. I've been doing my own thing. But I need to change. And I need to live as a loved child of God. And that make that my new identity. If that's where you're at and you just want to say that to the Lord and you want him to help you with that, would you just raise your hand? Yeah, thanks. Just keep them up. I see that hand. Good. Great. You can put them down. Let me pray for you. Jesus, you saw these hands. I thank you for their boldness, for their willingness to just say, Jesus, this is where I'm at, to be authentic and real with you, Lord. Thank you for that authenticity. Lord, I pray that you would help each of them right now to know that when they ask for forgiveness for their sin, they are completely forgiven and there's no condemnation for their life anymore. That the love of God in Christ Jesus can flood their soul, flood their mind, and give them a new heart, a new spirit, and a new life. They can become a new creation in Christ Jesus. So Lord, I just pray the love of God to just flood their soul this week. Holy Spirit, would you just just love them unconditionally? Let them see your love everywhere they turn. Every day, let them see a new example of your love in their life so that they will know that's who I am. I am a loved person in God, and I'm going to live that way. Secondly, let's respond this way. Do you know someone in your life that's hard to love? This whole idea of loving one another and you're like, man, but Pastor Mark, you don't know who I'm thinking about right now. Yeah, I do. And yeah, God does too. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's just someone in our society. Maybe it's somebody of another that's just different than you. And you have a really hard time loving them. But you know that's what you gotta do. That's what Jesus is calling you to. But it's hard to love with your words and your actions. But this morning you would like to say, I need help with that. I need the Holy Spirit's help to help me love well. If that's where you're at and you you know specifically that I'm referring to something in your life and someone in your life, would you just raise your hand if you'd like that help to have the Holy Spirit help you? Good. I see some hands over there in the middle here. Yeah. Over here to my left. Good. Awesome. Let me pray for you too. Jesus, we thank you that you left heaven and came here to show us your love. You showed us how to love. And man, it's hard in our world, Lord. It's hard to love well when everything we love is crumbling apart. Everything you love is being told that it's wrong. It's hard to love. And so, Holy Spirit, right now, we're just saying, we need your strength. We need your power. We can't do it on our own. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to help us love. Because it's impossible in human love to love who we need to love, who is challenging to love. And so, Lord, 
we ask right now that you would empower us by the power of your Holy Spirit to love well, to love one another in our church, to love one another in our family and in this world. Lord, help us be the hands and feet of Jesus. Without us loving, the world's not going to see you. And so Jesus, help us. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would convict us of the things that we do that are not loving, the words that we say that are not loving, the negative attitudes that we portray that are not loving, the way that we are on social media that isn't loving. Lord, convict us of all those things so that the love of Jesus Christ can be seen and nothing else. We give you thanks and praise. Thank you for your word and for your Holy Spirit this morning. In Jesus' name we all said, amen. 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 Well, good to see you this morning. Merry Christmas. Always remember, Jesus loves you very much. So do Kate and I. Have a great week.